Joseph Stevens will participate in the consideration and decision of today's cases. He is stranded in Florida, which isn't a bad place to be stranded. <laughs> uh, we'll hear argument first in number 94-16-14, Wisconsin versus the City of New York, uh, Oklahoma versus the City of New York, Department of Commerce versus the City of New York. General Days. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The true total population of the United States is unknown and perhaps unknowable. Yet every 10 years for the last 200, the United States government has been making the best effort possible to count every person it could in compliance with Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the Constitution. The 1990 census was no exception. By all accounts, it was the most well-organized and most thorough census in history, accounting for 98.4% of the population. Since at least 1790, people informed about the census-taking process. If, if the true population is unknown, how can one be sure that the re most recent census accounted for 98.4%? <laughs> well, it's an estimation, Mr. Chief Justice. It's the best we can. Uh, I think everybody has recognized that there's no such thing as a 100% accurate census, and that's very much bound up in this case. Since uh, at least 1790, people familiar with the census-taking process have uh, realized that the process does not locate everyone in the country. In fact, in 1790, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were convinced that the population of the new nation would be 4 million, and they were not persuaded otherwise when the census came in at 3,890,000. But since at least 1940, the Census Bureau has recognized that there's something called a differential undercount. That is, that certain minority groups, certain racial groups, are undercounted, not captured by the census to the same degree as non-minority groups. In this case, the, responses, the respondents contend that a statistically adjusted alternative to the actual count should have been adopted by the Secretary of the Commerce because of its alleged superior ability to correct for this differential undercount. The Secretary, however, declined to do that, relying upon the actual count, because he believed that it provided a more reliable basis for apportioning representatives among the states, which, after all, is the primary purpose of the census. Uh, and he did not believe it promised to cure the uh, differential undercount in any event. The district court upheld the Secretary's decision. On appeal, however, the Court of Appeals determined that the Secretary, by failing to adopt the statistically adjusted alternative, did not make, and I quote, a good faith effort to achieve the objective of equal representation for equal population, and remanded the case to the district court, where the Secretary was going to be required to show that his decision was essential to the achievement of a legitimate governmental objective in order to avoid a declaration of unconstitutionality. We're here seeking reversal of the judgment of the Court of Appeals and remand with directions of entry of judgment for the petitioners because we submit that the Secretary's decision following a 200-year tradition was within the range of options afforded by the Constitution to the Secretary and that what the Court of Appeals did was fail to show the proper level of deference to the Secretary's decision that he is entitled to in carrying out his responsibilities with respect to the census. One of the first things that the Court of Appeals failed to do was recognize the broad delegation that uh, the Constitution gives to Congress and Congress in turn gives to the Secretary of Commerce in carrying out the census process. 
Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 says that the Congress shall conduct the census in such a manner as they shall by law direct, and Congress, by statute, says that the Secretary may conduct the census in such form and content as he may determine. These are very broad delegations to both the Congress and to the Secretary. Uh, in conformity with his powers uh, under statute and under the Constitution, the Secretary of Commerce made three decisions. The first was to put distributive accuracy, that is, the ability to allocate population among the states so that apportionment of representatives among the states can be carried out in a responsible fashion. Uh, he was going to use that as the principal focus of his analysis in comparing the actual count and the statistically adjusted count. His second determination was that the statistical adjustment had to be shown to be superior with respect to distributive accuracy if he were going to use that instead of the actual count. And the third was, after uh, great deliberation and analysis, the secretary decided that the adjusted count was not superior to the, the actual count, and therefore he went with the tradition of 200 years and made the actual count the official census of the United States. General Days, is it, is it clear, or, or does, does the uh, government uh, concede that the use of statistical estimates is permissible, let alone that it's mandatory. I mean, the, the, the yes, text yes, of the Constitution, yes. as I read it, doesn't does not say you know that there'll be a, an estimate of the number of citizens. It talks of an actual enumeration. It doesn't even use the word census. It says actual enumeration. Do you think that that could be complied with by uh, Congress saying, well, we think the population of the country overall has increased uh, 5%, and therefore we think every state, you know, the chances are every state has increased more or less 5% close enough for government work. Could they do this? Well, well, well uh, Justice Scalia, I think the, the approach that you were just describing was, in fact, what the, the framers engaged in when they, uh, they came up with Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3. It was an estimate, and the, the interpretation of actual because enumeration... They because they didn't have an actual enumeration, but what that, they called for was an actual that, enumeration. That's true, but I, I think that what the term actual enumeration really suggests is that the, Cong the framers wanted to leave open to the Congress and later to the Secretary of Commerce uh, the ability to rely upon developments uh, with respect to nose counting or head counting. But I think one can say about the term actual enumeration that there has to be a good faith effort by the Congress and by now the Secretary of Commerce to count bodies, to find people, and therefore a totally synthetic census I think would be contrary to the constitutional objective. But going further, General Days, and using this PES adjustment, at least the district judge, McLaughlin, was confident that that was an appropriate way. He said, if I were free to decide on my own, that's what I would use. And he had a footnote, and I wanted to ask you particularly about that. that he said, in light of, of recent improvements in statistical tools, that um, the use of the adjustment in the next census is probably inevitable. So uh, my, my question is, has the government, it's now 1996, uh, there must be some planning for the next census. Yes, there is. So what is the government's current <clears throat> view on that, uh, the propriety of such a, an adjustment? 
Justice Ginsburg, I don't think any definitive decision has been made, but I, I don't think that there's any plan to conduct a synthetic census that is not going out as been has been the case for 200 years. But now that wasn't my question. My question was after you do that. After you do that. Well, I, I think that uh, the plan is to use some sampling, uh, but I don't think that there is any plan to use a PES approach at this point. I don't think there have been any. There was no sampling in the 1990. There was no sampling that was used. It was the enumeration that was used and then any adjustment was considered not sufficiently reliable. That's correct. There, there is ongoing uh, uh, experimentation and study of various statistical forms of adjustment. In fact, Secretary Mossbacker encouraged the Census Bureau after he decided in July of 1991 to continue to experiment and do research on the whole idea of statistically adjusted uh, censuses. But as I was saying, I don't think there's any determination at this point to do a PES in the way that was suggested in this lawsuit and is the subject of the debate between the respondents and us. Do you know what was the source of uh, the trial judge's confidence that the use of a, a, an adjustment after the enumeration would be inevitable? Well, I'm not certain, Justice Ginsburg, but I think that after he heard uh, 13 days of testimony from experts uh, of the highest caliber, I think he, was he punchy. probably... Right. He, he may have been punchy, but I think he also... Uh, <laughs> He also got the sense that the statistical science was moving forward and there, there would probably be the ability of the Census Bureau to, to rely more heavily than in the past on this. After all, we have seen a progression in 1980 that was an effort by the Census Bureau to look at what was called a post-enumeration program, not a PES but a PEP, and it was decided that that was not sufficiently robust or reliable to use. In 1990, we've moved another step, and I think he was simply uh, suggesting that science and time move on without any definitive understanding of exactly what might happen. You know that's another lawsuit, though, right? I mean, th th well, this one will decide whether you must use uh, uh, statistical estimates, and the next one will decide whether you may use it. Uh, I, I assume somebody will have an interest in saying that you can't do it next time around, if you do it. Well, that, that may well be, but... Uh, Justice Scalia, if, if we are successful to the extent that we would like to be in this suit, we think there would be a cutting back on challenges to determinations made by the Secretary of Commerce in this regard. If appropriate deference is shown to the Secretary in making this decision, which are myriad in coming to a conclusion as to what should be done with respect to the census, what types of adjustments should be made, uh, then uh, I don't think that we have to experience what was the case after the 1980 census in which there were 50 lawsuits, that over 50 lawsuits that weren't concluded until 1987. Uh, our principal point is that there are some types of challenges that deserve to be in court when there's an indication of, of intentional racial discrimination, when the Secretary of Commerce wants to hold a, a decennial census uh, every 15 years rather than every 10 years, or where it's clear that the secretary is not trying to count anybody, uh, those may well uh, be appropriate matters for courts to consider. But what the respondents have really invited the courts to do in this case, and they, certainly the Court of Appeals seems to have accepted the invitation, was for the courts to take sides in a statistical dispute among statisticians and and demographers about the propriety of a statistical adjustment. But we do not think that that's the type of dispute that properly belongs in federal court. Would what you go the... What do you say is the applicable standard that we should employ in, in 
determining whether the Secretary's decision is uh, consistent with the constitutional goal of equal representation. Justice uh, O'Connor, uh, certainly that's the way that we would describe the standard. We think that applying it in, in this particular case, looking at the three decisions that I, I just mentioned, uh, insofar as the Secretary is relying upon distributive accuracy as the principal objective, it seems to us that uh, that's consistent with the constitutional language and the goal of equal representation, that that's what the Constitution has in mind. How does the Congress and the Secretary of Commerce go about figuring out how representatives should be allocated among the states, apportioned among the states. That's perfectly consistent with the constitutional language. And when we talk about the need for the statistical adjustment to be superior uh, to the actual count, uh, we think that that is consonant with, but not dictated by the text and history of the Constitution. After all, what the Secretary of Commerce is doing, or was doing in, in 1990, was relying upon experience that the Census Bureau uh, had gained ever since marshals went around in 1790 from door to door asking people who lived in their households. That's what the Secretary was doing. It may not be that the Secretary has to do precisely what was done uh, in, in 1790 or 1980, but there has to be some approximation, and that's exactly what was going on here. Well, well you're, you're saying, uh, in response to Justice O'Connor's question, that the Secretary uh, gave an accurate interpretation of the Constitution. I, I, I took it the thrust of her question was, what standard should the court use in assessing the adequacy of his determination. I, well, I, I assume your answer would be that there would be rational basis. For that's, you. that's right. Uh, reasonableness, and, and although the district court here used uh, arbitrary and capricious, we think that that's, that's about as far as a court should go, but we would argue for uh, a more deferential standard, uh, one that apparently eluded the Court of Appeals in this case. Would, would you take the position that it would satisfy this standard at least in the absence of the kind of extraordinary circumstances like evidence of intentional undercounting discrimination and so on. Would you take the position that it would satisfy the standard for the secretary to, to take the position as a matter of principle that because all of these adjustment techniques ultimately involve kinds of value choices and are therefore politically manipulable, that it would simply be safer to go with the kind of garden variety actual enumeration to the exclusion of adjustments as a matter of principle to avoid the risk of political manipulation? Would, would you go yes, so far yes, as to I say if, if, he, if he bases his decision on that principled reasoning, that satisfies rational basis regardless of what arguments might be made that this technique would be helpful and that technique might not be? Yes, I think the Secretary could do that. That that's, that's consistent with the, uh, the constitutional tradition, the history. It's rational. Uh, of course, the secretary could balance off those considerations, as he did here, and, and went through a list of eight considerations and decided, after looking at all of those, that uh, adjusting was not the right thing to do. I think he may, he may come to regret being so open to, uh, uh, to the various uh, options for, for estimation. Well, which, just, which he just hasn't as, been in the past. And, well, Justice Scalia, I think that that a new Secretary of Commerce came in and found himself faced with a lawsuit and felt that uh, he would make a good faith effort to try to sort through this and hear what the experts had to say and evaluate it. And after going through a, 
an administrative process that produced 18,000 pages of, of, uh, of administrative record and had 650 uh, comments from outsiders and spent a great deal of time looking at this, he came to the conclusion that he did. And one of the, the, the most troubling things for us about the Court of Appeals decision is that it seems to want to uh, assimilate wholesale the rigid standards of the Carter decision into an evaluation of disputes over of the, the census, the, what, what, the what Karcher, Karcher? Karcher versus Daggett, uh, where, in effect, uh, there has to be uh, mathematical equality. And as this court mentioned in Montana, although it may be commonsensical in some ways to uh, seek a precise mathematical test within each state, when you try to apply that same standard uh, to the nation as a whole, the common sense uh, force of that becomes quite illusory. Uh, the Court of Appeals certainly recognized that there were differences between the problems that the federal government faces with respect to the census and those that states uh, uh, confront, but uh, did not give, in our estimation, a proper weight to those considerations. After all, unlike a state, when we're talking about the reapportionment of Congress, there are certain constraints, three major ones. There has to be at least one representative per state. Uh, there has to be uh, not exceeding one representative for every 30,000 people, and the district boundaries may not cross state lines. Uh, these in and of themselves make it very hard to imagine that there is any ability to achieve mathematical equality. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the Court of Appeals nevertheless said that the Secretary had to make a good faith effort and found that the Secretary had not made a good faith effort under these circumstances. Uh, is, we is there a way, uh, if in fact you did an actual enumeration, i.e. you went out and counted people, and you also thought that the inner cities were being uh, undercounted because people couldn't find everyone, it's hard for the... Yes. Is there a way in a system of actual enumeration to do better at counting the people in the inner cities that's a practical way? Yes. Well, I think that uh, this 1990 census reflects probably the, the most forceful and dedicated effort to do that in history. Uh, there was an effort before the census was started to identify households, uh, municipalities, and states were given an opportunity to challenge the list. They were able to do that afterwards. Uh, there were special get out the, uh, uh, the, the census count campaigns. Uh, specifically targeted to hard-to-count populations around the country. That's why I think the ultimate census, although, Mr. Chief Justice, we don't know whether it's exactly 98.4. By all estimates, it's 98.4. We're talking about missing 4 million people, approximately, in a population of uh, 248 to 253 million, which is a pretty good record. But let me say, in, in closing, something about uh, this differential undercount, because it's really driven this lawsuit, and I think the Secretary reflected his concern about this as, well, he should have been concerned, and I think all of us are concerned. But what he established was that the statistical adjustment could not show that there would be reliable distributive accuracy. What that means is if there's not distributive accuracy at the state level, one doesn't know where to place the minorities who are presumably undercounted. It's not clear whether one puts the, the, the so-called undercount groups in New York or South L.A. or other parts of the country, and that can produce great distortions. Uh, if one looks at the, uh, the adjusted counts impact on New York City, for example, uh, New York State uh, gained population under the adjustment. May I finish this comment, Mr. Chief Justice? Yes. Uh, uh, gained population, but it lost share 
That is, it lost its, its ranking relative to the other states in the union. We think for these reasons, the Court of Appeals judgment should be reversed and the case remanded for the entry of judgment in favor of petitioners. Thank you very much. Thank you, General Days. Uh, General Doyle, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The people of the state of Wisconsin stand to lose a seat in Congress uh, to the state of California, which is no longer even pursuing its claim because the city of New York and the other respondents seek to engraft on the Constitution certain statistical procedures about how to take the census over which even statisticians disagree. Uh, do, do you agree that the individual voters uh, who claim their districts have been undercounted have standing to bring this suit? Uh, we do not agree uh, with standing in, uh, in, the sen in apportionment. We believe that that standing belongs to the state, not to individual voters, as it does in a Karcher case in which you can actually assess what your proportional share of the, of, uh, of, uh, the voting uh, statistic is. But in the case of apportionment to the state, we believe that uh, belongs to the state. As in Montana and in uh, Franklin versus Massachusetts, both of those claims were pursued by the states that stood to lose a seat in Congress uh, uh, if it had been, um, uh, if the procedure had been adopted. In this case, California pursued its claim in the district court, uh, was, it did not appeal the district court's ruling against it, and uh, we believe the state of California is bound by that judgment. Well, do, do individual voters then not have the standing because the states uh, necessarily supersede their interests? In our view, it is in this case the state's interest, and uh, uh, the individual voter does not have the standing. But let me emphasize, in this case, California's case was brought state ex rel by, for the people of the state of California by the attorney general of the state. That's how the case was was brought. So the, the attorney general was bringing it uh, not on behalf of the, uh, the, the of the struck of the corporate entity of the state of California, but was bringing it on behalf of the people of the state of California. And he uh, and California did not appeal the judgment of the district court. Why doesn't an individual voter have standing on the theory that if there are more representatives for that voter's states, the ratio of representative to voters will be more favorable, and, and therefore the voter as well as the state has a stake? The, the apportionment, in, in, in my view, the apportionment right, the right to a certain number of, uh, of seats in Congress, uh, does not convert into the same kind of statistical, how many representatives do I have, what, what share of a representative do I have in Congress? And there is always going to be wide... Well, they're, conceptu they're conceptually different, but they are related, because the, the, the ratio will depend on the apportionment. So it, it may be that the voter is not bringing, in a technical sense, an apportionment claim, the voter is bringing a variety of, of person-to-vote claim, but why doesn't the voter have standing to do that? Well, because, as, as I say, I believe it's the state's right, but let me, let me emphasize in this case, uh, the voters of Cal the Attorney General was representing the people of the state of California, and certainly the voters of New York do not have any standing to, to claim that Wisconsin should transfer a seat in Congress from Wisconsin to California. That the only practical result of this statistical adjustment as it was later corrected. The only practical result of this statistical adjustment as, as it was later corrected is that one seat in Congress will be transferred from Wisconsin to California. There what, is about, what about federal funding that's based on uh, population and so forth? Isn't that an injury? 
federal funding is not a constitutional issue. There is no, this is the question before this court is whether there is a, whether there is constitutional violation. You have no, uh, no individual well, this, has, that doesn't that show injury? Not if there is not any uh, showing of uh, purposeful, intentional discrimination. There is no constitutional right to per capita receipt of government largesse. There's no right that a citizen in Wisconsin has to get equal number of dollars from the federal government that a citizen in Illinois gets. It, is a, it may be a statutory claim, perhaps reviewable under the APA, but it is not a constitutional claim. The only constitutional... Well, it's not, it's not a claim, but does it suffice to have the nexus of injury for him to bring the claim? It may have the nexus for injury to bring a claim, uh, uh, not, the, not the constitutional claim having to do with apportionment, which is the claim before this court, but a, a statutory claim. It may have the nexus of injury for standing. I don't think it would be a successful lawsuit, but may, it may be the nexus for standing of a non-constitutional claim. Would you have a different basis for challenging the census? Uh, uh, as it's used uh, under some of these statutes, then you would have for challenging it uh, in this lawsuit, which does not relate to a statute, but to the constitutional prescription? I think you may well have a different basis. You may well have, even under uh, the Franklin case, you may have an Administrative Procedures Act uh, lawsuit. I don't know that... Or you could come out with different results. You, you'd have a census. You'd have two different censuses, one, one of which uh, would be valid for apportionment purposes and the other one of which would be valid for all of the states. That is true. Uh, that is true currently, Your Honor. There are various census numbers that are used for the distribution of federal funds. There's a mid-decennial uh, census that is taken that is not a constitutional census that is used for purposes of, of uh, various uh, government programs. No, but, assume, but assume the statute just says according to the census figures. And, and is it possible that... Uh, uh, that that would mean one thing for uh, uh, for statutory uh, distribution purposes and something else for uh, for purposes of apportionment. What, if, what is the census? Uh, if the statute said the the official census, that's what uh, it says. Uh, then uh, we believe that uh, you you could conceivably have two different results. Although I think it's unlikely. I, but the the issue uh, before the court is. Uh, one of whether or not in this case okay. there has been... So we can have another lawsuit about it. We can do all this over again when somebody comes up with a statutory apportionment that requires it to be apportioned according to the census, and, and you say they can distinguish whatever we say in today's case because this only related to the official census. My understanding of the statutes having to do with dispersal of federal funds is you would not have that lawsuit, but uh, perhaps under a hypothetical statute you, you might well. You will have many, many lawsuits coming before you constantly if, uh, before the courts if the Second Circuit's uh, decision is adopted. Uh, if in the year 2000 uh, the census is harmful to the state of Wisconsin, the, the statistical estimation is done and the statute is harmful, uh, the census is harmful to the state of Wisconsin, we may well be before the court if the Second Circuit uh, decision is there, arguing that if you use different post strata, if you had grouped Wisconsin with different states, if you had had a different way of imputing the, un, the, the people who you can't match, that we would, we would be, uh, have a seat in Congress. And under the Second Circuit's decision, not only would we have a claim, but by simply coming forward with a claim that we can do the census better than the Census Bureau did, count more people, uh, we, would have, uh, we would have heightened scrutiny applied to that claim uh, as well. And if I might address the question about whether the, the adjustment of the census itself would be constitutional, the statistical estimation, whether it could constitutionally be done, uh, there is a significant constitutional problem with that. The 14th Amendment, uh, Section 2, requires that the census be done by a counting of the people in the states. 
the way the Wisconsin number would be arrived at if you accepted this uh, statistical estimation is that our count would not only be because of counts in our state, but through this post strata system by which people are counted in Ohio and Indiana and uh, 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 Illinois and Michigan, uh, our numbers are adjusted basis of, based on counts that are made in the post strata in other states. Uh, in, in fact, in the, in the post, in the PES, only uh, I believe 169 blocks of Wisconsin, about 5,000 people uh, were included in the post enumeration survey, and our numbers were being estimated uh, based on that. General Doyle, then, are you disagreeing with General Days, who said, in answer to the question, might the sampling technique or some statistical adjustment be used? Yes, it might. That's something the secretary is considering. And there was also the prediction, the forecast, that we wouldn't get a lot of lawsuits because if we gave proper deference to the secretary, then that would be that, as long as it meant a reasonableness test. But I think you are now suggesting that the secretary doesn't have discretion. Uh, I am suggesting that the secretary does not have discretion to do the kind of statistical sampling that was done in this case. There Any may kind of statistical sampling? No, there may well be other kinds of statistical sampling that I'm not a statistician that may serve the purpose, but I do not believe that you can arrive at the census of Wisconsin based on counts of people that you have made in Illinois, uh, Indiana, and Michigan, which is what happens. Because that is inconsistent with the term actual enumeration. No, it, the whole it's inconsistent with actual enumeration, but particularly it is inconsistent with the 14th Amendment, Section 2, which says counting the whole number of people uh, in the states. You count people in Illinois, you say, oh, there has been a, uh, an undercount in Illinois. You group Wisconsin with Illinois, and our undercount percentage is based on counts of people that are made in other states. I take it you have a, a sort of a, a, a footnote to that argument, too, because I gather Wisconsin claims that it made unusual efforts to, to get out the census, uh, so that the very fact that you tried to do a good job uh, would be a, a, a further reason, in fact as well as in principle, to say you shouldn't compare us with another state that might not have made that effort. Well, that's correct, Your Honor. Wisconsin worked very hard. And, and let me say that there's a suggestion that the majority states, or, or the, that there's a majoritarianism issue here. Every state has uh, an interest in seeing that everybody in that state is counted, minority and non-minority citizens alike. When a minority citizen in Wisconsin is not counted, my vote, uh, my, my representation is as depreciated as that minority student, uh, that minority citizen who is, is not counted. So every state has an interest in seeing it, uh, a full count uh, made. Thank you, General Doyle. Mr. Rifkin, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, <clears throat> and may it please the Court, let me say at the beginning that the Court of Appeals did not hold that Secretary Mossbacker's decision was unconstitutional. It only held, as I understand it, that the District Court had employed an inappropriate standard when it found that the Secretary's decision though mistaken, must be sustained because not so far beyond the pale of reason as to be arbitrary and capricious. There should be no question about it. The district court found that the secretary's decision was wrong, but not beyond the pale of reason. Well, on what basis did the district court go about finding that the secretary's decision was wrong, as you put it? The basis was, first of all, uh, 13 days of trial, uh, and the consideration of the evidence submitted there, but I think very largely on the basis made of concessions made by the Secretary. The Secretary never found, never found, 
that the uh, well, that the adjustment was less accurate than the original count. We should refine what what you mean by saying that the district court found the secretary's decision was quote wrong close quote. What, what the uh, what the district court said, and this is in the Wisconsin uh, appendix at page 77, um, the secretary has conceded that the objective criteria used to measure the adjusted counts show a greater numeric accuracy at the national level, and that the Census Bureau estimates of distributive accuracy marginally favor the adjusted counts. How does that add up to being wrong? It found it uh, adds up to being wrong if the standard is is the corrected count more accurate than the original count. And so you say it's simply a factual inquiry that's up to the district court to decide whether one count was more accurate than the other, regardless of what the secretary chose to do. I, uh, I believe, as I believe the Second Circuit did, that where fundamental constitutional rights are impacted, the court must conduct a more searching inquiry than merely beyond the pale of reason. How, how could that be the test? I mean, uh, if in fact the true cause is that people who live in inner cities and are hard to get to uh, are undercounted, people who live in inner cities and hard to get to also have more diseases and also eat less well. So in fact, the census system that adjusted upwards by 1% according to diet would be more accurate. Yet a system like that couldn't possibly uh, be a, a more lawful system because you'd produce bizarre results in trying to apportion uh, uh, representatives among the states. So I don't see how that could be the test, as opposed to the test being, are we going to do our apportionment business of representatives in Congress better? A absolutely. Uh, and then as soon as you say that, you run into their argument about, about uh, uh, you know, who gets the extra representative, and uh, there are a thousand different ways to do it, and it's undercounted here and overcounted there, and we don't know the true causes of the undercount, etc. Well, the, um, the, I think the key factors here are that the Census Bureau, the expert agency, to which normally I would suppose considerable deference was due, had spent a great deal of time trying to figure out the solution to the problem after uh, an enormous amount of effort and a very professional effort had decided that it had figured out the solution or at least a significant amelioration of the problem. And I must say, uh, Justice Breyer repeatedly advised um, the, um, the Department of Commerce that there was no other way said to whom a great deference is due, and as soon as we get into a great deference is due, they win. Well, uh, what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is a decision that overthrows, as the Secretary did twice, overthrows the recommendation of the expert agency, when the Secretary himself obviously claims, well, expressly claims no expertise, are, are raises you, a question about who... Are, are, you, are you saying... Uh, Mr. Rifkin, that a, a political appointee secretary who is authorized by Congress to take a particular action, if he rejects the recommendations of his permanent staff, uh, is, is therefore very likely of being held arbitrary and capricious? I, 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 um, I do not believe that arbitrary and capricious is the appropriate standard. Well, what, uh, what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is where you have, where the court has decided, and I, th I thought this court had decided, that it would look searchingly at 
government action that undermines fundamental constitutional rights. That under those circumstances, when one considers the whole matrix of, of factors, the fact that an expert agency had made a recommendation and that the Secretary of Commerce had overturned it uh, would lead a court to at least inquire, did he have very good reasons to overturn it? And what is the government action here, which you say undermines fundamental rights? The, the promulgation by the Secretary of counts in which persons are in very large numbers omitted, not uniformly across the country, but as we have known since 1940, in those places in which minorities reside, those minorities and the people who live next door to them, as the general said, uh, are undercounted when it comes to drawing districts. That was established by Professor Cole at Princeton in 1955 and is conceded. But that, that, that assumes that they're entitled to some different form of count than they got. They are entitled to a different form of count if there is an available count that doesn't have that consequence. I don't think you're right on that. I, I think the secretaries and the, the Congress is given great discretion by the, by the Constitution. Congress, in terms, confers great discretion on the secretary. And the idea that you simply decide all over again in the district court whether the secretary was right or wrong, I think is, is quite, quite unsupported by any case. The, um, there is a tradition uh, that goes back to the beginning of the century of uh, bureau autonomy. The remarkable thing about the 1990 census is it is the first occasion on which the Secretary of Commerce has undelegated to the director of the bureau the authority that the director well, of the bureau has always had in this respect. Do you claim that the secretary did not act in good faith in uh, putting out uh, the actual count census and relying on that? I, I believe that the secretary did not pursue in good faith the zealous pursuit of equality and accuracy, which should be the overriding command. Is it, is it clear that uh, some kind of statistical substitute for an actual count is permissible under the Constitution? I think, uh, let, me, let me be clear, no one has suggested, uh, not the Census Bureau and not Whig, no one has suggested a substitute for, uh, that is, disregarding the enumeration entirely. The only question is whether it can be improved by statistical means. I don't hear the government, Solicitor General, or anyone else suggest that, except for Wisconsin perhaps, that one could never use a correction of statistical nature to improve the quality. And of course... Well, the Attorney General of Wisconsin is here saying uh, the Constitution doesn't permit any statistical adjustment. Uh, why, why do we think it does? I, I think... Uh, I think Wisconsin in that respect is wrong. I think uh, the Solicitor General agrees with me on that, and I will, I will say why. Uh, I think that when the Constitution uses the word enumeration, it means to render in numbers. It doesn't just say enumeration, it says actual enumeration. I take the word... Actual enumeration. And you want to say that since you cannot do a perfect actual enumeration, you will take the, the actual enumeration and adjust it upward or downward by statistic, statistical means. I don't think that that, it isn't clear to me at least, that that constitutes an actual enumeration. I take it the word actual enumeration in, in context there differentiates it from 
the attribution uh, for the imaginary first enumeration right? contained in the, in, the, in, the, in the, well in the proceedings clause of the Constitution, which says for the first three years we'll allocate Congress the following way. But uh, but the but the fact of the matter is, and maybe Kirsten, that was not an issue that was aired below, since it was accepted by the government. It was that, and the secretary spent all the time considering this, so that isn't an issue. But I was interested in your answer about this fundamental right, and we know the result. It was also known that an absolute veteran's preference in Massachusetts would mean that of the upper echelon jobs, a vast majority would be reserved to a group overwhelmingly male. And we have Washington v. Davis. Uh, How can you argue that even though you know that the undercount will disproportionately affect minority members, that for that reason you get this highest level of scrutiny when this court has rejected that over and over again. I'm not sure that one gets it uh, because uh, it, uh, it disproportionately affects minorities. I would have thought one got it under the line of cases following Baker v. Carr. One gets it because when, uh, when we require of states that they proportion uh, quite precisely equal numbers for equal, equal representation for equal numbers. Uh, we don't in, inquire about their intent, and we don't listen to 200 years of history uh, as an explanation for why they got there, because then, it's... But then General Davis has told us that you can't compare the national census with apportionment, one person, one vote within a state. And General Doyle tells us that what we have to concentrate on, the only thing at the constitutional level before us, is taking away from... Wisconsin, one seat, adding to California, one seat. That's what he said is before us, nothing else. I don't think that's all that's before us, although that is before us. What, why explain then, the Secretary said, I'm concentration, concentrating on distributional accuracy within the United States. The result of doing this PES will mean that California gets another seat, Wisconsin gets one seat less. Now, why is anything more than that involved? Well, we all know, and the, and the Congress has commanded, that the census also be available for the states to use in drawing if congressional districts. So if they so will, they're not required to. Uh, I think it would be a temerity state that declined to use uh, the census counts to draw its congressional districts. After Karcher, at least, I think there's a grave doubt whether they're free to do that, But assuming they are, they will certainly be exposed to an array of litigation much larger than has been suggested. And as a practical matter, this is fairly traceable to what the Secretary does. As a practical matter, we know the Secretary is commanded by Section 141 to give to each of the states the most accurate data they can so that they can draw their congressional districts, state districts, state legislative districts. And since 1962, this court has required the states to do just that, to draw Richard, equal populous why, why couldn't the state t- say, we take the enumeration, and then for our own purposes of apportioning, we will, we will take this adjustment? Uh, no state, in fact, is equipped to do but that. They, they, because uh, they don't have the numbers to do it? Or? Only, I mean, we, in this case, we have the numbers because we forced the government to give them the numbers. Yes. Uh, But even so, most states have constitutional requirements of their own and statutes of their own that say you use what the Secretary of Commerce 
delegates, sends to you, pursuant to Section 141 of the Code. Um, and well, it, then maybe in each state should we decide how that statute should be and say that we want to have the enumeration plus the statistical adjustment, and then it's a question for the state's political process. Well, uh, uh, that may be. As a practice, in this, in this decade, that doesn't solve a problem. We have, we have a set of data, and we have an alternate set of data. The secretary chose the data that the experts in the agency, that the bureau told them were the less reliable, that missed four million or five million people nationally, that undercounted blacks, Hispanics, Asians, and so on. And you t you told me the practical result on the state level, but I'm looking for the constitutional infirmity. Well, uh, I think there's at least a suggestion in Karcher that the states are required to use the census counts unless they can prove, prove that they have something better, at the very least. Mr. Uh, Rifkin, your whole argument seems to rest on the assumption that we're dealing with two sets of figures which are alike in every respect except one is more accurate than the other. And that, in fact, is not so, is it? We are, in fact, dealing with a set of figures which are derived, one of them by actual count, the other one by estimate, which depends upon a series of value judgments in order to determine how to make the estimate. So we are not comparing a big apple against a little apple. We are comparing two different kinds of vegetables. Huh? Uh, Justice Souter, I, I mean, isn't that so? I, uh, with, with respect, it is fundamentally wrong. All right. And, I, and I'd like to address that. The census is full of estimation. The original enumeration, the enumeration is full of estimation. Uh, every director of the Bureau that I have known of, have known of and we quote several of them uh, at page 9 of our brief, has said the notion that there's no estimation in the enumeration doesn't understand what the actual way we count people is. Would it be fair then to say that the difference between these two figures is a difference on the <clears throat> a difference uh, depending on the uh, amount of estimation versus actual enumeration, uh, which in fact uh, uh, is involved in, in reaching the number? There is, there is. By definition, there's, I presume there's more estimation in the method that, that you want used or you wouldn't want it used. There is, there is more estimation involved, although in 1980, okay. the, the estimation involved, which involved imputing the existence of people and their numbers by a very crude device, was challenged in Orr v. Baldrige in a dispute between Florida and Oklahoma because it shifted a congressman. And, uh, and the Census Bureau prevailed. Okay, but we have a different What was that estimation? I'm, I'm interested. What, what was that imputed? Uh, my recollection is that, in, uh, uh, that the process there involved is when the house was seen to be, you couldn't find the people in the house, and the neighbors didn't know how many people were there, and the postman didn't know how many people were there. They said, we know it's not vacant, so we'll attribute the numbers in this house to be equal to the numbers of people in the adjacent house. And with that device, which I, I describe as crude, but better than nothing. They added, I, as I recall, 790,000 people to the census, which shifted a congressman from um, Indiana to Florida. Okay. In the, and in previous decades, they've added millions of people by similar estimating processes. Right. Now, may I, may I go back to the comparisons of these two estimations, uh, one of which is more ambitious than the other? If we assume that the two figures are properly comparable so that we can say one is better than the other, 
we have to assume uh, something about the judgments that are made in deciding how to make the preferable estimate. We have to say, yes, those value choices were good value choices. Isn't it the case, then, that you have a problem in your argument, just taking it on its own terms, by virtue of the fact that, if I recall correctly, the head of the Census Bureau said, I wouldn't have done it this way, but the Secretary's choice is within the realm of reason. In other words, it could, a reasonable person could make a different set of value choices from the ones which I personally prefer. It would still be within the realm of reason. Uh, isn't that a difficulty for your case? Uh, I concede it. Um, uh, Dr. Bryant uh, said uh, reasonable men can differ, reasonable persons can differ. And that's why you have to insist on the heightened scrutiny standard, uh, I because otherwise I, you lose. Well, I think there's a, uh, there's a risk of that. Uh, I, did, I did. And and high high risk. Risk. Yeah. Uh, I must say, I don't envy the position Dr. Bryant uh, was in when she had to utter that statement. She was standing next to her boss. And it's a common thing for non-lawyers to say when they're standing next to their boss. Okay, but we don't have any, we don't have any finding from the people, the, the judge who heard the testimony, that, that in fact it's not to be believed. I, 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 I agree with that. But I think if you read the report, and, and it's in the joint appendix of Dr. Bryant, you read the report of the Census uh, Committee, you read uh, those sorts of materials, you come away with the feel that she felt very emphatically uh, that they had solved the problem, and with good reason. Because well, she felt very emphatically that they had come to one, and indeed in her view, preferable, obviously, solution to an assumed problem of undercounting. But to say that they had solved the problem is truly to say they had come up with one solution to a problem, and there were other solutions. And, and, and it was within, within the realm of reason to say that, in fact, the cure might be worse than the disease. Um, no one at the trial, and not the secretary, said that the uh, enumeration was better, uh, whatever that means, than the correction. What the secretary said, in effect, was because sampling is involved, because sampling always brings in an element of, of what the statisticians call sampling, a random error, uh, there's an element I don't know quite as much about and because I don't know, I'm going to prefer what is on its face the worst mechanism. That's essentially the ground rule for decision that the Secretary put out. And I think whether that's an appropriate ground rule for decision where constitutional rights are involved is an appropriate inquiry for a Mr. court. Mr. Rifkin, isn't that quite an, an exaggeration to say I'm going to stay with the worst method? He said, I'm going to stay with the method we have unless I'm convinced that something is Better. And even Judge McLaughlin didn't say Secretary was wrong. What he said was, if I were the decision maker, I would probably, not certainly, I would probably have ordered the adjustment. That's the furthest he goes. No, I think he goes further, actually, uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg. He says the court is satisfied that for most purposes, that is Appendix 59, for most purposes, the PES resulted in a more accurate count than the original census. And he says the secretary has conceded that the objective criteria used to measure the adjusted counts show a greater numeric accuracy at the national levels, but and that, that the Census Bureau's estimates of distributive accuracy marginally favor the for most purposes. But that's the crucial that's the crucial uh, uh, phrase there. What the secretary did not concede 
was that, that this uh, adjusted method was more accurate for the central purpose of distributing representatives among yeah. the states more accurately. That's just where for that purpose he thought that the actual enumeration was better uh, w without statistical adjustment. Um, I, isn't that it? Wasn't that in essence what he said? My, my understanding of what he said is that he never actually says that the adjustment is not better, or put it differently, that the enumeration is better for that purpose too, Justice Scalia, than uh, the um, than the adjusted counts. What he says is, since I can't tell that the other one is better, uh, uh, then then my rule of decision tells me I rule that way. Is that unreasonable? That's I mean, suppose there are two things causing uh, uh, undercount, A and B, and California has all A and New York has all B. And what we do is we adjust on A and we don't adjust on B. We might discover all the seats go to California, New York loses. But the reality is that they shouldn't shift at all. And so obviously, uh, the simple fact that you get a more accurate count doesn't solve the apportionment problem. Indeed, all statistics has that problem, doesn't it? You have to figure out how to draw the boxes and what your causal theory is uh, before uh, you do the sampling. And as soon as you get into that, you know it or you don't know it. If you know it, why not just send out the census takers? If you don't know it, it can be manipulated. I think it's unreasonable for at least three or four reasons. Uh, first, uh, and I think this is something that, that courts are quite as capable of addressing as, as the uh, Secretary of Commerce, everyone knew going into this that what was going to go on was the substitution to some extent of random error, the error derived from sampling, as against what the statisticians call, but we also call, bias. And the secretary has decided here, among other things, that he prefers bias to random error. And I think the courts are entitled to say that's something one ought to look at very closely. Because the bias that the secretary preferred over random error is consistently, persistently, decade after decade, falling in the same places. It doesn't float around. And it has a very distinct sense of unfairness. There are a lot of respects in which we use random methods. When we pick a jury or when we pick a draft, we use random methods because there is a heightened sense of equity in it. And I think that's a relevant consideration. But secondly, the secretary had agreed with us in the stipulation which this case produced on a mechanism that was going to be employed as part of the census. At the time he did that, he had before him the machinery that the Census Bureau had prepared. The decision he finally came to after, and everyone agrees that the, the post-enumeration survey was excellently conducted, the Secretary doesn't dispute that. So the decision he finally came to was a decision he could have come to before he started because he knew that a, that a measurable, foreseeable amount of random error was going to be interjected into the affair. I think that's inconsistent with, if you like, it's not in good faith with, the stipulation that he entered into at the beginning, saying we're going to conduct this post-enumeration survey and we're going to conduct it as part of the census under the ground rules, under the tests, under the standards that the Bureau has set forth. At the end of the day, it met all those tests. Uh, suddenly there was a a change of grounds of decision, a change of the rules of decision, if you like. 
And I think that is suspect and requires further attention from a court. Or at least I think that's what the Second Circuit would Mr. say. Mr. Riskin, are, are you, you are relying at bottom on a constitutional claim. Absolutely. Under the census clauses of the Constitution or the Fifth Amendment as well? It's both. not clear to me. Um, well, maybe that's because it's not clear to me, but I think the answer is both, Your Honor. Um, I, I think we rely on what underpins the line of decisions uh, Westbury and, and, and uh, everything since uh, uh, Baker v. Carr. And I think those come both from the, uh, the according to their respective numbers. What is the specific the harm claimed? The, the, um, the change in congressional reapportionment? It, it certainly includes that. There was, I should be clear because this uh, Solicitor General questioned this in, in his brief. There's extensive testimony in the record, uncontested, that congressional district by congressional district, and we use the example of California, uh, the, the number of people uncounted varied directly with the number of minority in the congressional district, and to be frank, varied directly with the number of Democrats registered in the district. So there's a close, and, and the regression analysis that were done on it were very meticulous, uh, is, very close and overwhelming. Is there case. some claim of harm because of the intrastate districting that results? Absolutely. Uh, those, that as well. I, I, who live in New York, say that whether or not New York is entitled to an additional congressman, New York City is entitled to a larger share of the electoral power of the state of New York, both in Congress and in Albany. And the same thing is said by my colleagues from. Los Angeles, who are here, although California uh, uh, couldn't pay the price. Mr. Rifkin, then we get back to the point that I made before. That's not because the federal authorities are compelling that. That's because the states, so far as this record shows, have chosen that that's the way they're going to do their interstate. There's nothing that shows that the states could not, one by one, have picked what you say is the better way of doing it. They have the numbers they could do it. Um, I think, in my view, in principle, that ought to be right. I think in practice, with all respect, I think it's wholly unrealistic. But practice, how does the practice rise to the level of a constitutional decision? We're saying we know that states could do this, but they won't. Politically, they won't. So... No, it's not only politically. They're not equipped to do it as a general matter. And, uh, and Congress has com required... Well, I thought you agreed that you got the numbers for them, and those numbers, I take it, are not going to be any less available in the future. But they are numbers that until this day have been under the great cloud that the Secretary of Commerce put them under. Um, and that's why I say it would be a courageous uh, state attorney general in California or New York who said, well, we're going to... The Secretary of Commerce rejected that, but that's what we're going to use in New York. I think that, that takes... Uh, because New York would violate one person, one vote if it used those? Do you think that anyone could mount such a challenge? The New York Constitution requires... Uh, now, you say the New York Constitution could be amended, and I agree with that. All I'm saying is it's a practical matter, and I can't get further than that. Uh, it's unrealistic. I think, put it differently, the claim of the New York City dweller or the Los Angeles, or of Los Angeles, or of the Los Angeles dweller uh, is fairly traceable to the action taken by the Secretary of Commerce. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rifkin. The case is submitted.